Hello, and welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we explore company culture in the fascinating world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and I hope you are ready to meet a powerhouse in the manufacturing field. Our guest today is Megan Jimba, a technical writer, brand storyteller, and marketer for industrial manufacturers who's on a mission to empower women in the sector. With a BA and MA in professional and technical writing from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Megan has been writing for manufacturing since 2008, but she's not just a wordsmith. She's also the host of Megan's, Megan's, Mavens of Manufacturing, a video broadcast series that celebrates the stories and achievements of women in the field. Through Mavens, Megan aims to attract a younger generation to join manufacturing and engineering career pathways and help close the skills and gender gaps in the industry. As a proud mother of three, Megan knows how to juggle priorities and she brings that same energy and focus to her work in manufacturing. Whether she's cooking up a storm, crushing her CrossFit workouts, or savoring a great cup of coffee or glass of whiskey, Megan is all about embracing challenges and pushing boundaries. Join us for an exciting conversation with Megan as we explore the world of women in manufacturing and how we can create more inclusive cultures that empower everyone to thrive. So sit back, relax, and join us for this exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hey, Megan, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining. I'm great, Jim. Thank you for having me. This is something that I have been mentally preparing for since we <laughs> talked about having you on. Uh, I fanboyed a little bit about uh, having you on, had to mentally prepare. So I really <laughs> appreciate you being on today. This is uh, a very special interview for me. I, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited too. And and thank you. I, I, I don't know about all the mental preparation. I'm just another human being. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to have this conversation. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get some laughs in there as well, too, because I'm all about having fun and, uh, and laughing at myself. So Perfect. hopefully that happens. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to get along great. Um, <laughs> so before we jump into some of these questions, Megan, you're a fan of whiskey. What kind I of am. whiskey? I, are you uh, blended, a scotch? What what What's your whiskey of choice? Yeah, so I kind of like uh, the whiskeys that have a bit of bite to them, which um, I really didn't get introduced to that until I met my ex-husband. Okay. Um, so I really like Woodford Reserve. Um and I like Buffalo Trace as well too. Okay. Um, I used to be a big. I I still am. It's not that I used to be. Um, I used to be. I used to drink Jameson all the time. Um, Oof. but yeah, I I like Buffalo Trace and uh, Woodford Reserve. Um, I know there's more expensive whiskeys out there, but I I'm on a budget, so I can't <laughs> drink those as often. Um, so yeah, I, my go-to's. Or definitely Buffalo Trace and Woodford. 
I feel you. I feel you. I the only time I seem to have good whiskey in the house is when I'm gifted those uh, for birthdays yeah. and Christmas, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, is I mean, I have a lot of good friends. Like they're amazing, and I wouldn't trade them in for the world. But they're cheap friends as well, too. So <laughs> they're not buying me any expensive gifts. All right, <laughs> I got it. Uh, uh, the uh, I just got this year uh, from one of the longest friends that I have, uh, a Nick Offerman uh, Lagavulin Scotch. And Ooh. it is the peatiest Scotch that I have. It, it's like drinking soil. Um, it's so peaty. Uh, so I can only have one glass every so often. Um, so it will last me a while. So when you're out for MFG at the end of April, uh, maybe mm -hmm. we can get together and, and we can have a little uh, whiskey sampling, if you will. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, that, I don't know if I would drink something that reminds me of soil though. So I might have to... <laughs> We'll yeah, we'll come I'm up with something. One. Yeah, we'll come up with something yeah. else. Maybe maybe we can both bring uh, something that is more of the milder uh, variety. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to pawn off the soil whiskey to you. Um, I mean, I'll try. I'll try anything once, but uh, <laughs> that description did not get me excited for trying that particular one. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I do what I can. Sorry, Nick Offerman. <laughs> uh, he, he will not be sponsoring this show, uh, this yeah. episode moving forward, I think. Um, but if you want to send me a free sample just to prove me wrong, I'm open to that as well. <laughs> hey, Nick Offerman, we're looking at you, buddy. We're looking at right? you. If you're listening, send us whiskey. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into some of these questions. Um, the first one I have for you, Megan, is around Mavens of Manufacturing. Tell us about Mavens. What inspired you to focus on women in the manufacturing sector? How did it mm -hmm. come uh, into fruition for you? Yeah, so as you mentioned in your excellent intro of me that I'm very grateful for, that was a great intro. Um, thank you. So thank you for that. Uh, I've been writing for the sector since 2008. My first job out of college was actually for a trade publication called Product Design and Development. Hmm. And um, I met a lot of different people, including women. Um, so while it was a little awkward at first to go to trade shows and be one of maybe four or five at the time, yeah, um, it was great to connect with those women that weren't hired as booth babes or booth bunnies yeah. and really get an understanding of how they started in the sector and some of the things that they were doing. Because I just thought it was cool that, you know, uh, these women stuck through some of the hard challenges they had to face as women in a male-dominated industry, and they still were smiling, and they still highly enjoyed what they had to do and the changes that they were making in the world. So um, fast forward to a few years ago, uh, right before the pandemic hit, I had a conversation with my ex-husband because we just had our, our um, son Ronan, and I have a daughter that's 19 and then uh, I have two boys, uh, five and four now. Wow. Um, but we just had our youngest Ronan and I was kind of tired of working in a corporate environment where I had to be where they wanted me to be at certain times. 
And yeah. I really wanted to just be able to have the freedom of, you know, making my own hours, picking my own clients. And the great thing about being a tech writer is you can find freelance work pretty easily if you look in the right places. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to be in one place all the time. Like if you have a laptop, you can work on the beach if that's your preference. And that sounds nice. Yeah. So um, I don't have a beach near me. I'm in the Midwest. So it's <laughs> very jealous of people that do live by beaches. You have um, lakes. Yeah, but it's not warm all the time. And I'm not trying to sit by a lake when it's cold. But, uh, you know, I just. I just said, you know, I, w I would like to spend more time with our kids because when I had my daughter, I, I missed out on a lot because I was a single mom and I was working full time and um, going to school full time. So there was a lot of moments in her life that I missed because of that sacrifice I made. So uh, I was just trying to be an overall better parent, better mm -hmm. working mom. Yep. And my ex was like, yeah, you know, you should do that. Well, then the pandemic hit. And then he lost his job. So I was like, I will look for another full-time job. And um, a photochemical etching company in Chicago hired me on as a, a pandemic hire. So I did not make it into the office until like three months or four months later, whenever they started opening up things again. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know any of my coworkers right off the bat. Um, but it was around that same time where I was like, you know, I'm seeing all these conversations on LinkedIn because people started creating more content on LinkedIn to kind of maintain their sanity and keep connected <laughs> during yeah. that time of isolation. Um, they were talking about some major issues in the sector, but it was all guys. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to them, suggest the women that I know, and then hopefully they'll start inviting some of those women to join the conversation. Because, you know, men and women think differently. And I think women have an interesting perspective on some of the issues that are going on in the sector. So mm -hmm. I would offer my suggestions and the response was, yeah, we'll reach out to them. And then they never did. So I said, screw it. I'm going to start my own thing. And I was out to dinner with a mentor of mine. We were actually at a, a bougie taco place and um, we were drinking whiskey and uh, eating tacos and we were talking about our fears and i was like you know i went skydiving because i'm deathly afraid of heights and he's like interesting and he's like so what's your fear with starting this whole mavens thing because i like did my pitch with him and um he thought it was really interesting and i was like i don't know i'm just not prepared for it i don't have a website or anything up for it and um uh, i'm just not ready for it and he goes well you don't need to be ready all of that stuff is really easy and i can teach you how to do it He's like, why don't you do this? Make an announcement on LinkedIn, see if there's any interest. And then if there is, come back and we'll have a conversation. So um, I went on LinkedIn and I said, hey, I have this, you know, I don't remember verbatim what I said, but sure. basically saying, hey, I, I have this idea, really interested in talking to women in the sector, feel free to reach out to me. And I actually booked shows out until April of that year. That's for awesome. For Manufacturing. Yeah. So, it was just completely mind blowing. So I went back to my mentor and I was like, uh, yeah, you need to help me now because I have shows booked out until April and I don't know what to do. So he helped me with all the basic stuff. And uh, one of the best advice pieces of advice that he gave me was like, you know, your first epi episode is going to suck. Like there's going to be technical things that go wrong. Um, you're going to stutter. You're going to fumble over your words. He's like, but as long as you keep 
progressing forward in 1% intervals, he's like, you're never going to fail. So I always aim to be 1% better than what I am the day before. I love and, um, it. Yeah, it's been going pretty well. But, you know, the other reason why I wanted to start it, though, too, is um, my daughter, who's in college now, uh, she's studying in, to be a surgical nurse. And the reason being is because Grey's Anatomy is her favorite show. Ah. And she she really liked really liked that show and um, thought it was cool how, you know, people who get sick or hurt, there's technology and medicine out there available for us to really help them and um, keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to her and her friends, I, I noticed that all of them were talking about four-year education and going to universities and getting into some of these um, medical fields and uh some wanted to be teachers, others wanted to be lawyers. Um, no one really talked about being an engineer or a manufacturer. Mm. And when I asked them why, they really didn't know what that meant. And some of them had the misconception that, oh, you know, that's not a stable place to get a career in. And um, it's dirty, dark, and dangerous. And who wants to work on a shop floor with oily tools? And who wants to cut this and that? Like, they just didn't really know what existed within the sector. Sure. So I wanted to have a platform for women to come and share their stories, explain their journey, and then talk about the skill sets they had to kind of educate the next generations of what engineering and manufacturing is. Cause I, I feel like we're not doing a great job of that still. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I picked Mavens Um, as the title is, I didn't want to be another women organization or platform. I wanted to really focus on the skill sets that these women brought to the table. Um, So that's why I decided to to wordplay Mavens, because a lot of people who aren't familiar with the English language, um, I saw a common trend where they automatically linked it to a female. So Mm people started thinking, oh, well, Maven is a female, and it actually isn't. It's um, an expert or a connoisseur of something. Um, but because it sounds feminine, I think some people just automatically connect it to a woman. Um, and it's actually a gender-neutral word in it, the English language. So um, only a few people caught on to my my tricky wordplay, and uh, I appreciated that. But yeah, I, I wanted to kind of step away from the same women groups that I was seeing and and just really focus on the skill sets that we were bringing to the table and it has unexpectedly just flourished and um when i hear people compliment me i'm a little taken back because again this was something i wanted to create for the people that i knew doing amazing things and i tend to just tell people, you know, I'm just a storyteller, I'm just a writer, um, and I'm just using my skill set to really amplify the voices of others that are actually doing things in the sector. And I've gotten yelled at already a couple times um, <laughs> for my friends for doing that. But yeah, so that that's pretty much the gist of how Maven started. And I'm really thankful because I've met so many interesting people and I've talked to so many students as well too. And so many people have come and helped me in certain areas that I'm not so good at. Like I'm not a business person by any means. And I have just had several people come up and say, Hey, you know, this is something you should think about. And if you need help, let me know and I'll provide you resources. 
And usually that's coaching that you would have to pay for. Sure. And none of these people have charged me. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful um, for their, their guidance and their advice and their support. Cause without it, Mavens wouldn't be where it's at today. Wow. That's a really neat story. Um, and because I'm not the most intelligent of people when it comes to the language that I speak every day, I had no idea about mavens and, and the root of, of that word. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. And then the other thing is, too, is like, you know, there's a lot of talk about the old white men in the sector. And, right. you know, I get it, but we still need the old white the old white men in the sector. And I wanted to create a name that didn't isolate anybody from the conversation. And we all can be mavens. Um, even the guys that have come before us, they can be mavens as well too. So yes, there is a focus on women for my podcast, but I, I wanted it to be something that includes everyone because without some of the, the men in the sector, I wouldn't be where I'm today um, because a lot of my mentors have been men and I'm ex eternally grateful that for them as well too, because they've given me some really good advice on, you know, yeah, there's going to be jerks out there and you just got to kind of shrug off what they say because yeah. this sector needs you and it needs your thought process and your, your critical thinking. And because without it, we're not going to progress forward. So um, I'm trying to change that that narrative a little bit as well too and just get everybody involved because we we need to pull together um as the old saying goes it takes a village and this is definitely going to take all of us to, to close the skills gap you're not wrong there um that's uh yeah it's a an ongoing issue and it's a multifaceted issue that the skills gap um i you know for I don't know, 15 years or so, I've heard about the skills gap, maybe longer. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been in the industry for about 20 years, but 15 or 17 years, we've been talking about the skills gap, but mm -hmm. we seem to still be approaching the skills gap from the same standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's where this podcast was born, right? Is I love the workforce development efforts with students, right? We have to get young people interested and, and change the perceptions of, of parents. But we also yeah. have to build cultures internally uh, within the, the companies that are out there that are welcoming to these young people. Because if we yeah. don't change, and that's that's where this podcast was born, was, hey, let's, let's talk culture. Let's talk about some of the things that uh, you know, Nicole Walters and Steve Tomasi and some of these other people are doing in the industry to create places that young people want to go work. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, we've got to, we've got to do this together. Um, and I love that answer. Thank so, you. um, what, as a woman in, in this industry and, and you talk about the booth bunnies and, and, uh, those, people who historically were part of the IMTSs and, and other trade shows. Mm -hmm. In 2023, what are some 
of those challenges that that women face in the manufacturing industry and and how can companies that are working to be better overcome them yeah so that's a great question um some of the challenges that existed you know 10 15 20 years ago are still there um they haven't gone completely away um i do see companies wanting to make efforts in overcoming those challenges and you know it's not going to take a day it's slowly progressing i would love to see it progress a little quicker um but again it's a culture change right Mm because it's still pretty much male dominated it's been like that for years and years and you got to change the culture um for actual change to happen. But um, there's a few things. Um, Some companies, you know, didn't have female restrooms. Um, There's also issues with, you know, some of the, the, some of the stuff that's going on in our society today on how people identify as themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I heard one story where a company uh, included transgender restrooms in their facility. And, you know, it made a difference to who was applying for their jobs. Um, so it's things like that, that people don't think of, or they're uncomfortable to talk about it. Um, so it's just really understanding what matters to not the current, not just the current generations, but also the next generations as well too. And having those conversations that might be a little uncomfortable. Um, the other thing is, is, uh, support. Uh, whether that's, you know, internal support. So if you really want to change your culture, you have to be, it has to start at the top. It has to start with leadership. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you set up boundaries and expectations, then you need to follow through with that. So sexual harassment is very well, uh, still much prevalent. Yeah. And when it gets reported, something has to happen. Um, Because if nothing happens, then you're just, you're just all talk and you're not sh- walking the walk basically. Yeah. So uh, that's so much prevalent. And um, the other thing is too, is just, you know, promotion of women. So there was a stat that I read the other day where it said one in four people within manufacturing is a, a woman leader. But I was just reading a report too, where uh, a lot of companies are losing the the women leadership that they have because they're not, um, taking con- consideration what's important to the women leaders. Uh, and so they're leaving um, and trying to go somewhere else uh, to to feel like what they care about matters to the companies that they're working for. And what's what that is doing um, is actually making the next generation of women not want to work at those companies either. True. So they're basically following suit. So um, there's a, a thing called the broken... Uh, wrong. Um, I don't know if it's a theory, but uh, basically that first step of promotion is very limited, limited with uh, women. So if they can't break through that first step of promotion, um, it's very hard for them to advance their careers in certain companies that uh, don't promote women within. So Um, But the other thing is, too, is because there's a low percentage of us, sometimes it's hard to promote women within because there's just not enough to promote. So uh, we really got to change the way of how we're talking about these positions 
and how we're actually bringing awareness too. Because um, I remember being in high school, the way that I tested in English was what they focused on mm-hmm. and they never like encouraged me to pursue anything in, in STEM because right. I sucked at math and science. So, I mean, there's a lot of different challenges at different levels and we really got to f- be strategic about it and figure out how we're going to approach those challenges. Um, some companies are doing a really great job while, where they're offering um, tuition for advanced uh, improvement or continuous learning. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all, also offering uh, training and certification uh, with their current employees so that they can upskill their current employees. Sure. They're offering leadership programs as well, too, for women who might have a hard time finding their voice and being confident in their skill set. And they're also joining organizations like Women in Manufacturing um, so that they can connect with other women in the sector and have some commonalities there. Um, So they're paying. Yeah. So they're paying for their membership because WIM offers corporate memberships, too. So if you get a corporate membership, um, basically anyone in your company can go to their events and sign up for some of their their uh, state events too, because they have different chapters within different states. And I think they just expanded internationally too. Like they have a, a, yeah. a few chapters in other countries. So it's just, I mean, doing things like that, where you're helping them along their career pathway um, is, you know, makes a big difference. Because if women don't feel supported, um, they're going to leave and they're going to go somewhere else where they feel, feel supported. Yeah. And if they don't see themselves in a company, then more than likely they're going to ignore that company and go somewhere else. So it does truly start from leadership. You, you have to change the culture within your organization to make women feel comfortable to even apply there. Mm-hmm. Um, some have even gone as far as changing the way they write their job ads so that the language they're using is more inclusive as well too and not so masculine sounding yeah um because what is that stat uh it's one of my favorite stats because i didn't know this but women tend to only apply for jobs they feel 100 percent qualified for whereas men if they feel 60 percent sure of it they'll apply for it which i thought was really interesting so um they're trying to just adapt their job ads to be all inclusive instead of just focusing on one gender, which, you know, no one really thinks about that. Right. Um, Right. But representation matters. I mean, that's, you've got to have, whether it's genders or or race or uh, whatever the case, you've got to have that representation to attract that next level of workforce. Right. Yeah. Um, I still run into companies that don't have maternity leave policies. I mean, how, how mm-hmm. can we as an industry start to get women involved in manufacturing if uh, the most cherished moment of life and creation of life isn't, uh, it, people aren't given the opportunity to bond with their children, et cetera, et cetera. How can yeah. manufacturing ad- adapt to those kinds of needs? Yeah, so there are a couple companies that are actually offering full pay for maternity leave. They're not okay. offering it as like a, a disability, where mm-hmm. sometimes that's how it's set up. 
Right. Um, the other thing is too, is a lot of companies are trying to uh, create spaces for any mother that has to pump for uh, if they're breastfeeding their children. Yeah. Um, I noticed when I, when I've worked at a couple companies, that's a huge uh, challenge for some of the older companies that have been around hundreds of years. They just never had to consider that because most of their workforce was men. Right. And then you get working moms coming in and they need to pump and they have no private place to pump. I, I've met a couple moms who had to go out to their car oh, to do that. Yeah. And um, they were just like, you got to do what you got to do, you know? And uh, so I, I see a lot of companies changing that. The other thing is too, is offering the same amount of uh, paternity leave yep. as maternity leave so that dads can also have that bonding moment with their, their infants. And that's something that attracts, you know, women as well too, because it shows that you really care about being an inclusive company and, you know, having equity as a priority and, um, equality as a priority. And Absolutely. they're more apt to work with companies that consider everybody. Um, yep. so yeah, I, I, I know that there's other company. I just talked to a company who um, they actually have a child daycare set up in their facility. Oh, that's awesome. And what they do is they have a, a partnership with the schools so that kids can get picked up. Moms can bring their kids to the facility. Buses can pick the kids up from the manufacturing facility, bring them to school. And then when school's done, the buses will bring them back to the manufacturing facility so that when moms are done with work, they can just get their kids from the daycare and then leave and go home. That's genius. So, yeah. I thought it was really cool. So that's genius. And as we get into summer, right. And parents are looking for summer camps. That's another, you know, huge moment uh, of time uh, I would, I would hope that companies start looking at partnering with summer camps and, and, or offering yep. discounts to summer camps, because what, do, what are people supposed to do with their kids all day when they're going to work? Yeah, exactly. And that's like a challenge that I've always had with, um, having three kids at home. Yeah. And that was one of the main reasons why I always wanted to do remote work because then I could pick my own hours. And I think the pandemic kind of opened up our eyes to the remote possibility um, mm -hmm. because at first some companies were like, no, you have to be here every day, nine to five. There's yeah. no flexibility. And then the pandemic hit and everybody's like, well, no, we can survive having a flex schedule of some type. Um, there's some companies too that will work with uh, parents and they can either start earlier in the day or start later in the day. As long as sure. they're, they're getting their time in. Um, it's allowing them to have a schedule that fits with the school schedule of their kids so that they can drop them off and pick them up. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a good idea as well too. And you, you brought up the pandemic and, and, you know, COVID impacted the manufacturing sector in so many different ways. But one mm -hmm. of the stats that I saw, I, I think it was at the web summit last fall, was the the number of uh, the number of women that the pandemic affected as far as their ability to go to work, right? Because mm -hmm. it, typically, and the amount of women that the workforce lost in general, how do you think manufacturing can recoup some of that loss and really start to retarget people who left? 
and and women who left the industry. Can can we start to build that those numbers back up? I think so. Um, but again, it's about having conversations with those individuals and setting up expectations and actually following through with what you say. Um, there's a shift going on where, you know, you have to start treating people like humans. You can't just keep treating them like numbers. You yep. know, they, they have lives and they're splitting their time to help companies make a profit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, we spend eight hours a day at work a lot of times, and that's a lot of time away from family. Um, so I think we just need to have conversations and set expectations and actually follow through with what has been agreed upon. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing is, is um, ad career advancement. Like, there's a ton of women out there that want to advance in their careers. They want to be in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. um, but if they don't feel supported and they're entering in a room where when they start talking, they're either ignored or talked over or their ideas are given credit to someone else for, because that does happen still to this day, yeah. then they're not going to feel appreciated and they're not going to be afraid to leave because right now there's a ton of places looking for good employees. Yep. So they have options available and they know that. And it, it's becoming apparent that um, it's, it's not going to be a hard thing anymore to find a good paying job because yeah. so many people are hiring. So um, employers really need to listen to their employees and see if there's a way they can work with them. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, I you know, again, when you're empowering your employees to be the best they can be, they're actually more productive, which is better for your bottom line. Absolutely. And they're more creative as well, too, because empowering them gives them the sense that you trust them. So they're more willing to take risks um, in certain ways, but also take accountability for when they fail mm -hmm. and learn from those failures and move forward. So empowerment is 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 very important for a company's success and you have to look at different ways on how you can empower your employees and you know that extra training and uh providing flex schedules and working with them um is really important in instilling that empowerment into yeah. them yeah absolutely uh yes that's the most true statement i've heard on this podcast in a while um, so Megan, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about technology, uh, that's impacting the manufacturing industry. What, what opportunities do you see, um, for young people, uh, as we're working to close the, the skills, the gender, the opportunity gaps, that exist in manufacturing, how is technology mm -hmm. going to affect that effort <clears throat> to close those gaps? Yeah, so, I mean, who doesn't like robots? <laughs> I mean, I, I love robots, but yeah. also with CNC machining, there's a lot of cool companies creating some fantastic, like I just saw um, Titans of CNC on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. uh, they just posted a video of uh, machining a skateboard and they were like jumping off one of the CNC machines and doing skateboard tricks with this 
skateboard that they seen awesome. machine. Yeah, it was super cool. And, you know, we have to connect the technology to what kids care about. So how do you figure out what they care about? Well, you have to have conversations with them. So I'm hearing a lot of um, discussions around, you know, we have a workforce problem. Um, here's what we need to do. And it's all these conversations in there's really no action behind it. And yeah. that's very frustrating for me because I've had so many conversations with not just high school students, but students who are in community college and they don't feel like they matter to some companies because yeah. they're not getting the attention that other schools are getting. And it really depends on the economic situation of the school it seems like where yeah. certain companies pay attention more to schools that have uh, a higher budget than other schools. And that's really unfortunate. Yep. So um, what can we do on our end of things to kind of change that? And again, I challenge everybody who's listening in on this. Um, just like I challenged my uh, one of my network groups this morning to donate some of your time and go to a school that's in your community. It can it can be a community college. It can be a middle school, an elementary school, a high school. It can be a university. Just go somewhere and ask the students, ask the kids, you know, what matters to you? Yeah. What, what do you get excited about? What are you interested in? What do you want to be? Okay, you answered that. What does that mean to you? Because Normally, when you ask that to a kid, they generally say firefighter or policeman or doctor or lawyer. Like, they're pretty basic about it. Yeah. Um, but as they're going through their school career, I mean, there there's a few that know what they want to do and they stick to their plan. But a lot of kids in high school don't really know what they want to do or what they sign up for, what it actually means. Right. Because um, they don't have that hands-on experience. So um, I definitely think we need to take the technology that we have today, whether it's um, taking a scaled down cobot from one of like universal robots or Fanic or Kawasaki or, you know, um, <laughs> taking down a, a scaled down robot, bringing that to a school and just letting kids play, play around with it, show yeah. them how to control it, show them how to program it um, or do the same with a, a additive manufacturing printer or a CNC machine, bring something to the schools and just let kids mess around with it, ask questions, and then, you know, tie in what the career pathways are, why you're, yeah. why you're demoing that. Um, Haas is a really good company because they've done a phenomenal job at getting in school. So most kids who are at schools that have the, the opportunities to work with Haas, when you mentioned CNC machining, that's the brand that yeah. they most likely bring up because they've actually used it in some of their classes. So we got to do more of that because uh, kids remember the stuff that they're working with and um, they generally have an interest in continuing to work with it once Absolutely. they try it out and test it out. So um, I think we need to do a better job with um, different types of internships as well too. Mm. So again, as I mentioned before, it's going to take a village to, to make all of this happen. It's not going to happen at just one level. Yeah. You know, we gotta, we gotta include everybody 
um, that's within these communities because it's going to take everybody to, to make it happen. Well, and it sounds like a lot of what you're saying and a theme that you've, or a thing that you've said a couple of times is have conversations. And mm -hmm. I think that's just a, a really important point to make is whether you're it's the employees and you're working on retention or recruiting, or if it's workforce development, you got to find out what they want. We, we got to stop pigeonholing uh, these humans into providing them solutions that they don't want. Let's talk to them about what they want, whether it's those current employees or the em employees of tomorrow. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. So uh, one example I can provide a few years ago, I did a virtual manufacturing summit at the high school I graduated from. Okay. And I had a lot of my network, um, there's like eight members of my network that I invited to do a 20 minute presentation. Mm -hmm. Some of them are pre-recorded, um, but there was one in particular and I gotta give a shout out to Aaron uh, Prathner because uh, I think his presentation was one of the favorites among the students. Awesome. Um, so he used to work with uh, FedEx and he showed the, facility that he was in where they tested out some of the automation solutions that they were looking to incorporate into the processes at FedEx. Yeah. And he sat on one of them while another person controlled it and it was moving him around. So they thought that was pretty funny. Wow. But then the other thing that got the kids who were leaning back, kind of paying attention, not really um, in their chairs was they pulled out a PlayStation controller <laughs> and started controlling one of the robots and it's just simple coding and the kids were like i have that at my house and i'm like yeah so if you have coding you can code your controller and control robots with it and they thought that was the coolest thing ever so that's um, awesome they, they just have to know that there's people interested in talking to them yeah and they want to open their doors to their facilities and stuff um because that's where most of the aha moments come from um, kids don't really understand the connection between the products that they're using and manufacturing because they've mm -hmm. never seen it. But once they enter a manufacturing facility and they can start seeing how things are put together, it's, it strikes a chord with them and it interests them and they want to learn more about it. So we definitely need to, to do that more as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, young people and, and listening mm -hmm. to their needs. Um, what right now is the most exciting? I mean, is it, is it the robotics? Is that what's most exciting to the young people and, and really what we're going to be able to use to, to grab their attention? Um, is it, uh, you, you mentioned robotics, CNC's additive, what do you think is the technology that is going to be most valuable for them to, or mm -hmm. valuable for us to grab their attention? Um, I don't think it's one in particular, honestly. I think it depends on what the kid is interested in. Um, a lot of people like robotics. Uh, first robotics, you know, they have some stats out there where a certain percentage of the kids involved in their program actually continue forward with some sort of STEM career. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what the stats are, but they have them available on their, their website. Um, so a certain percentage of kids that get involved in that program really like engineering and manufacturing. So they continue on. Mm -hmm. Um, I know 3d printing, uh, struck a chord with a lot of kids that Andrew Crow worked with or talked to. Yeah. And, um, there was one school I went to and they had a, a laser cutting machine oh. and they thought that was the coolest thing ever. I thought that was cool. They even had it in the school. Like it was one of the high end ones too. And I was just like, how the heck did you guys <laughs> afford this machine? Um, but no, they, um, but because automation is like the, the topic of the hour, because you know, pretty soon yeah. everything's going to be automated in my opinion. Um, and I know, that's probably going to make some people upset. Um, I think, I think, yeah, robotics is probably going to be number one. Uh, CNC machining, I would rate as number two because okay. then you're you're doing the programming. Yep. This is just my opinion. This is not like set in stone. I want to make that very clear. You can <laughs> definitely disagree with me, and I'm more than open to having a discussion about it. Um, but yeah, so robotics, CNC machining, additive manufacturing, and then welding, uh, yeah. kids are getting excited for. And I, I really like Barbie the welder and the sculptures because that's, um, she, and there's another, uh, uh, welding sculpture out there and I can't remember her name for the life of me. And I feel so bad because she does really great job. I want to say it's Jamie. Okay. Um, but they're actually attracting a lot of girls' attention in welding. Yeah. Um, because some of the stuff they're doing. And I think that's cool. Like, There's a woman really cool. in Yuma, Arizona, named Shannon Aaronmore. Uh, and she has an okay. organization called Weld Like a Girl. Um, and so she's, cool. oh, she does some amazing camps and, uh, events with young people of all genders. Right. Uh, but yeah. it, it started out to get young women involved in, in welding and it's just blossomed and she's in a new facility and it's great. Um, but yeah, young That's people are really gravitating towards the welding. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of young people talk about careers yeah. in welding. It's super cool. And it's in such high demand right now. And yeah. uh, the high school that I graduated from, they just hired a new welding teacher because uh, their their previous one retired. And their new teacher is actually an industrial welder. So he actually had time in the field. Wow. Um, he's getting his PhD uh, right now. He's working on it. But one of the things he wants to integrate in the program is the skills USA competition that they do. Yeah. Um, so he wants to do that. But what he is also doing, because he is actually a certified welding inspector, uh, he can uh, have these kids test for their welding certification. That's the awesome. AS ASW welding. Yeah. Um, so by the time they graduate high school, They'll have their welding certification and they'll be able to go to certain companies um, with that certification. And I think starting pay for most of those positions is like 27 bucks an hour. Yes, ma'am. Which is 
that's Phenomenal. awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like I worked at a retail store making five bucks an hour and I'm just like, <laughs> kidding me? Yeah. High school. Uh, what we, what I got paid when I was in high school is dramatically different than what uh, you yeah. make now. Um, yeah. But, but let's talk about instructors, right? In Arizona here, mm -hmm. uh, in other areas that I work with workforce development organizations, instructors are almost as rare as the young people getting into the industry, right? So how can we tackle that problem, Megan? How can we go out and find or get instructors to teach that next generation? You know, teaching is a, a calling. I, I personally think um, not everybody can be a teacher. It takes a very special type of human being to uh, teach. Yeah. And... I think that's why it's a rarity. They also don't get paid what mm -hmm. they're worth, in my opinion. So I think that needs to change. Um, I've met a couple of people who have quit their corporate job, took a massive pay cut, and went to go teach because they see the need there. And mm -hmm. um, they just have hearts of gold. And they know that without them doing it, no one else would do it. And yeah. um, that's... I mentioned to you earlier, Danny Murphy, he's one of those individuals that quit corporate to go wow. teach and uh, he's doing amazing things. And the kids are very engaged in his classes from the videos that he's showing on uh, LinkedIn. He just showed, he shared one today where they were working with a conveyor system and uh, they had to uh, program it, I believe. And this is just me observing the video to have it stop when the box that they put on it mm. reached the end. Mm -hmm. And the girl that was in the video like had an unexpected yay come out of her mouth when the box stopped. And <laughs> it was just really awesome to see the excitement and from both cool. the students uh, for, for accomplishing that task. So um, we definitely need to think of ways to provide them more of an incentive to, to teach. Yeah. Uh, because again, they're not getting paid. The other thing is, is we need to figure out the whole funding situation um, because with all of the supply chain issues and the economic issues that we're having here in the United States, um, some of the teachers, if they don't have the budget to purchase the resources from the school, they have to dip into their own uh, pockets to get it. Yeah. And that's taking away from their salary. So what are some of the ways we can um, fix that issue? And, uh, you know, can can companies donate old components that they're not using? Can they donate machines that they're not using anymore? Um, like what sort of partnerships can manufacturers develop with the schools in their communities so that everybody wins in the situation um there is a high school near my community where they actually have like a it, it's basically a factory floor set up so wow. the students are learning different sides of manufacturing from like design development uh processing shipping um supply chain and they're making a component that's fairly easy to make to another manufacturer mm -hmm. um and they're making them in large amounts and then they get a percentage of sales for that that piece and then all that goes back into the program that the school has so it's basically like a an internship i would think um so the kids are getting paid 
and then money is going back into the program for the work that they're doing. That's one genius. Yeah. So it, it's super cool. It's super creative. And I think we can do more of that again, though we have to start working together and, you know, politics yeah. are politics. And sometimes those prevent things from happening because they set up unnecessary barriers. Um, sure. I am not too familiar with all that stuff though. Um, so I myself need to get better educated in terms of like the policies for different states. Um, I do know uh, his name is Devin Russell. He's an amazing guy. He's in Elk River, Minnesota. He actually went to his, he's a, uh, I can't remember his company. I'll have to look that up. But he went to his boss and said, hey, can I donate a certain amount of my time to go to the high school and help the tech ed teacher and share my experience here? Cool. So that can be part of the program. So every week he tries to donate as much time as he can to, to help the kids learn what they're learning that week. And they have like CNC machining uh, set up there. They have uh, CAD and CAM programs. They have welding. So he goes in there and he shares his expertise. And then what he's doing is he's trying to get more local manufacturers to set up a rotational um, mm. volunteer <laughs> schedule yeah. because he can't always get there because if things happen at his company, he has to prioritize that over the volunteer stuff. So um, he's trying to get other companies involved. So in case he can't make it, another company can be there for three or four hours out of their day. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. So, and then uh, Matt Goosey is another one in Wisconsin. Yeah. He set up an SOS program. It's um, save our schools. And he was able to get um, extra compensation for teachers to actually go train at his facility and do what he's doing in the field. And then they bring that knowledge back to the classrooms and they're teaching the kids how to CNC machine in an actual real life situation. So then they That's are awesome. familiar with what his company is doing and producing. So when they graduate, if they want to continue on with his company, they can do that. And then the tech ed teachers aren't getting stuck with like stupid tasks like bus duty. Like yeah. They're actually <laughs> doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're actually uh, getting upskilled as well too. So that's um, neat. It, so so yeah. it's kind of an externship almost. Yeah. That's yep. great. I, and Matt, uh, I'm glad you brought him up. He's uh, going to be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks. So I'll make sure I took a note to talk to him about yeah. that. That's he's, awesome. he's cool. I, I like him a lot. He, he's one of those, um, individuals that is actually putting his boots to the ground and he saw a problem and he's like, I'm going to help solve this problem. So he goes out and advocates um, for manufacturing in a huge way. And I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So instructors are only one side of the problem, right? We all know that getting young people interested in these careers, how do we solve the parent perception problem, Megan? Uh, and I, I know that's almost tongue in cheek because if, if you knew the answer, uh, we'd be solving mm -hmm. that. Right. But in your eyes, how do we solve this, this perception problem? Um, now that <clears throat> I'm 44, now that people who are my age have the kids that are starting to look at those career pathways, and we were, you know, one of the last generations to have shop class, uh, but also one of the first generations to 
be told that everybody needs to go to a four-year school and we've perpetuated that that thought process and you know in my high school i've said a couple of times on the show uh my guidance counselor didn't even talk to me about a skilled trade the my mm -hmm. favorite classes were shop classes that's where i excelled and you know i talked to my dad mm -hmm. uh who was an educator um about this before and he said oh we always knew that you should go into something in a trade um but that was something that we didn't talk about in school um and and so how do we change that perception of, of people my age and and get them to be more welcoming of of these careers yeah so we definitely need to upskill the school counselors as well too and kind of teach them what some of the opportunities are and how you can take different skill sets and apply them to the career pathways because just because someone is good at something doesn't necessarily mean they want to be part of that sure. thing that they're good at they might be interested in something else and more passionate about something else yeah um but with the parents i mean again it's education it's awareness so you have to have conversations with them as well too and invite them into your facilities as well too so that they can see some of this newer technology and get an understanding of it um i was at an event in McHenry county for the high school that's out there and one of the women who's part of the manufacturing consortium that's a hard yeah. word well um <laughs> she uh was telling me how a a, a young girl came to her table and asked about an underwater uh, robotics program wow. where, you know, working with underwater robots and the high school she went to had a robotics team and that's where she learned about it. So when she was asking this woman if they make robots that can go underwater, she got the idea from high school. Well, her mom was kind of like, you know, whatever, like thinking it was some crazy idea and she didn't know that it actually existed she just thought her daughter was making things up um and saw something on tv and she didn't know that there was actual real life applications um that have underwater robotics so when uh this woman was talking to the mom she said the mom just perked right up and was like oh my gosh like this is amazing i didn't know this stuff existed so again we ha we have to have conversations with parents as well too and re-educate them on what the opportunities are and you know provide them with the information on the differences in the money savings that's involved as well too um sure. i can tell you right now i i have my master's degree i'm in six-figure debt still and i'm yeah. almost 40 and it's not fun like it's not something i'm proud of like it's crazy um I have some friends who went to community colleges and they're either a CNC machinist, they're an electrician, or they're a construction person, or they're a welder. They have zero debt and they are living their best life because, you know, that's just the path they took and they excelled in what they were doing. Yeah. Um, even with like nursing, you can go to a community college into their nursing program, get more hands-on experience up front and not spend as much time in school um, as you would a traditional route yep. and you're making money right away. And I, I tried telling my daughter to do that, um, but she's stubborn like me and she <laughs> wanted to do the four year experience. And, you know, that's what she's doing now. I'm not trying to bash four year universities. 
I'm not trying to do that at all. I think there is a place for them. Mm -hmm. Um, but for kids, for kids who do not like school and for kids who just want to work, um, I don't think that's the route they should take. I think they should do more of the hands-on stuff and get experience right away. Cause you know, they're going to, they're going to like it and they're going to excel at it. So how do we, how do we make that happen for them? Um, and you know, the community that I'm from, they're doing something right now. Um, and I, I don't think I can share too much information about it, but it's basically letting the students and the parents see the different opportunities that exist within the community. And then the kids can decide, yeah, I like this and this is what I'm interested in. Or no, I don't like this. I want to try something else. Um, so once more information about that comes out, I can definitely share what they're doing because I, I think that's going to be a game changer in how we're not just educating kids, but the parents as well as to what's available in manufacturing. That's great. Yeah, we uh, one of the schools here in the Phoenix metro area, uh, we just they had just had a uh, parents' night <clears throat> and. Uh, we got to uh, sit in the manufacturing lab and tell them about mm-hmm. careers in manufacturing. And we got local manufacturers involved. We talked about uh, the the high school pathway that these students would be on. We talked about what happens after high school, apprenticeship programs. It was really neat. Um, and and we we successfully spoke with uh, three out of however many groups of parents came by. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's a small start, but it is small, right? Um, right. one of and the, who, go ahead. who knows, like you might even convince a parent to change their mind and join the exactly. sector because I've heard that story too. I heard, uh, you know, some women who had a different career in one industry and they didn't like it. And then they, joined manufacturing and engineering and fell in love with it. And now they're here to stay. So it's never too late to start over. And um, I think we got to keep that in mind as well, too. Um, One of the companies here in uh, the community that I grew up in, uh, one of the interesting things I found out about them is they actually have manufacturing signing days. So you know how kids who get who get recruited by school by schools for sports. Yeah. How they do the signing days. This company does that, but it's for their manufacturing jobs that they take. That's really cool. They set up. Yeah. They set it up pretty similar and they bring people in to cheer these kids on because they made, they make a whole event out of it. Like it has an introduction and a welcome uh, session. And then there's a guest speaker and then they recognize certain people and they have a, a photo shoot for the kids actually signing with them. And That's then they cool. have like their closing remarks. So they're making it a big deal. Like they're making them feel important when they come in <laughs> and join their company, which I thought was awesome. That's, I I really like that. That's neat. Um, mm-hmm. One of uh, the, the guests a couple of weeks ago, Steve Tomasi, uh, talked about um, the the four-year experience and that being in his eyes, one of the biggest barriers to getting kids interested. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it with, with your daughter. Is there a way that we can create uh, an experience around 
life for kids who are interested in skilled trades. And I, I'm not just talking manufacturing in general, but any of the skilled trades out there, the people who go to uh, a, a community college, but stay at home. I think that there's a, a large group of people, young people who the only reason they go to a four-year university is to, to experience that freedom, right? That I'm 18 years old, I'm out of the house, I'm not, you know, reporting to mom and dad every day type of freedom. Is there a mm -hmm. way to create that kind of uh, mindset or experience for them um, with a, a community college and apprenticeship uh, experience as well? That's a really good question and I've never thought about that before, but I feel like with anything it's possible. Um, but I would have to think about that and see like what we could do to do that. Cause most kids that do go to community college, it's within their area. Right. So they're not really moving out of the house. There's a lot of kids that still live with their parents when they do that option. So yeah, they're not really getting the freedom that they would experience if they go to a college right? Um, that has right. dorms and everything like that. So maybe that's one possibility where community colleges set up dorms that kids can just kind of stay at. I like it. I don't know if that would be ridiculous or not, because you're only like five minutes away from your parents. <laughs> home, but hey, then you've I got mean, somebody to do laundry, right? Uh, right, right, <laughs> right. I'm just visiting for laundry. Um, would, as a parent, that would probably annoy me. But um, no, I think maybe if you could set up like a living community on the community college campus where kids can make the decision of whether or not. But again that's going to be an extra cost right it, so it's that an expense, might increase yeah. yeah that might increase tuition or something which might defeat that whole purpose but right. um i don't know a lot of kids that i i keep calling them kids and i feel bad um but a lot of uh individuals that i know who have gone to community college they do like the freedom that they get in terms of working right away sure so they feel like oh, I'm working, it's not necessarily like considered hands-on. Got it. Um, they feel like they're, and this is just personal conversations that I've had with um, some individuals who've gone through community college. Like they really liked that, yeah, we had to go to class, but then I got to work with this patient and I was able to do um, IVs. I, I did a blood draw today. Like they got really excited that they did that right away instead of having to wait two or three years sure. before getting to that point, which is pretty much the process I think my daughter has to go through where she has to get all of her generals out of the way, take certain classes that deal with her major, and then she'll be able to do clinical stuff. Yeah. Um, which I tried explaining to her, you can get there faster if you go to community college. But again, she's stubborn and chose her own path. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think, I just think kids get a sense of freedom when they're able to do something with their own hands and see the end result of it. Yeah. Um, but again, that's just my personal opinion and what I've observed. Uh, there was a girl in uh, the college, or not the college, the high school that I graduated from. She was the only female. And what they were doing is uh, uh, basically building scaled down houses so it was a construction class and they had to build a frame 
uh, install installation, install wiring, um, electrical stuff. And then they also had a company come in and they were doing a, this is not the right term for it, but they were doing bricklaying. Yeah. Um, and she was the only girl there. And uh, she was awesome because she's like, well, someone has to organize all these guys and make sure they're doing things right and managing. And she was like all for it. She's like, I want to do this, this and this. So she already knew. And I think that hands on experience that they were experiencing in the classroom setting really helped her figure out that, yes, this is what I'm passionate about and I want to do this. So yeah. um, I I don't think she cared about that whole experience. freedom. Got it. Yeah, because she she was figuring it out in the classroom. Yeah, I, I get that, and uh, that that's a great counterpoint to that, right? Uh, and you and I talked before we started the official recording here uh, about the CTE program back east that mm -hmm. I had the students on, and that's what I heard from those young women that were on that episode is they they were more excited about just doing right and the two yeah. women who graduated from this program they went out and they're now part of the union and they go to work every day and they're crushing it right um but while they were in high school until they started that program their grades were horrible and they were experiencing a lot of anxiety in school and and things of that nature they started the welding program and their grades turned around. They weren't as anxious at school, right? It was a mental health uh, benefit and it wasn't mm -hmm. the, the experience uh, that they were looking forward to. It was going out and, and working. So that's a great point. All right, Megan, uh, we're nearing the end here. Um, what what kind of parting tips, thoughts uh, do you have for the listeners of this episode? Yeah, so again, I'm going to challenge everyone listening to this episode to connect to someone um, that's younger than them in the community that they're in and just, you know, ask them questions and get to know them a little better. Um, Cause I feel like we're missing that huge chunk of conversation that involves the next generation. We really need to tune into what matters to them and what they're passionate about. And, you know, some of them have great ideas yeah. and we don't know that because we're not talking to them. Um, the other thing I would like to challenge um, companies to do or communities to do, if there's a trade show within the vicinity of your community, sponsor kids to go to that trade show. Um, I had a busload of kids come to IMTS from the high school I graduated from. They absolutely loved it. They want to go again uh, in 2024. Some of them even want to go to FabTech. Cool. Um, and they really don't have the funding within their budget to do that because it wasn't something they really knew about. Um, mm -hmm. Not all schools know about these uh, trade show opportunities. Um, so check that out. And then the other thing, um, if you don't have a robotics team, uh, start one <laughs> because kids, kids like robotics and, you know, it's not just teaching them the engineering and manufacturing of the robot itself. It's also teaching them the soft skills. It's teaching them teamwork, collaboration, project management, organization, time management, how to how to create events for fundraising, um, 
you know, it's it's assigning individuals to uh, positions that they enjoy doing. So they have a project manager, they have a, a marketer, they have the engineers, they have the, the people building the robots. Um, start that because a lot of the kids enjoy doing it and it opens up their eyes to skills that they might have thought they never had. Um, and it teaches them a lot of soft skills too that are important. And I think we forget those skills sometimes because we're so digitally connected to our phones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it really helps them prep for real life situations when they're done with high school and ready to enter the real world. So uh, those would be my advice, I love uh, it. pieces of advice. And then overall, just be a good human. Uh, we need more positivity in the world. And um, I yeah. believe in the karma you put out there comes back to you. Uh, so just being good human beings. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so everybody, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Thank you so much, Megan. Uh, this was a fantastic episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. It's everything that I built up internally. Uh, so <laughs> thank you very much for being on. We hope that you enjoyed learning more about Mavens of Manufacturing and Megan's insights on how we can build more inclusive cultures in the manufacturing industry and, and develop the workforce of tomorrow. Megan's passion for empowering humans in this sector is truly inspiring. And I hope that her message resonated with everybody listening as well. If you have any questions for Megan or comments about the episode, please contact us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we will continue to explore company cultures in the world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Mm -hmm.